Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Mandy Redwine, and with me as always is my co-host and forever friend, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? Oh, that's so sweet, Andy. We'll (laughs) always be friends, Andy. We will always be friends, forever and ever, until someone turns you into a rabid hunting dog, I guess. (laughs) Oh, so so you think... (laughs) I don't know. I mean, That's interesting. It can happen. You know, you think you think I'm going to be the rabbit dog? Friendship is now over. <laughs> that was the point. Hey, we have a guest star. We do have a guest. We have Holly Beck. Holly is an IBLC WIC program manager and intimacy coach who lives and loves in Santa Fe with her family. Holly received her MFA from Spalding University last year with a focus in dramatic writing. She loves advocacy, traveling, exploring haunted hotels and ghost towns, creating art in various mediums, and the written word. Hey, Holly, how are you doing? Good, Larry. How are you? I'm good. We're so glad to have you here. So, Holly, we always ask our guest, because we let you pick the movie, why did you pick The Fox and the Hound? The Fox and the Hound, I've been watching that movie since my childhood, and there's just something about it that's always resonated with me. I think it just has a different quality than a lot of Disney films do, and it's got a little bit more depth and brevity than some of the other films that I grew up watching from Disney. And I don't know, there's just always something about that story that's tugged at my heart. I can watch it and cry every single time, so... So you don't think it would be better if it was the fox and the hound and the princess who needs a man? Some key facts about the fox and the hound. The movie really represents a change in the Disney animation guards. It's Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson's last feature film for Disney. And we see some new faces in this film. It's Brad Bird, Tim Burton, and John Lasseter's first work. So it's kind of interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. This movie cost $12 million to produce. It was Disney's most expensive animated feature at that time. And the movie had mixed reviews. So the New York Times says the movie breaks no new ground whatsoever. And Time Magazine calls it an intelligent story about prejudice. Roger Ebert said, for all of its familiar qualities, this movie marks something of a departure for the Disney studio And then he said, it's not just cute animals and frightening adventures and a happy ending. It's also a rather thoughtful meditation on how society determines our behavior. I don't think I can disagree with any of those takes. It's a variety of opinions there, Andy, but I somehow agree with all of them. In a lot of ways, this movie is kind of a rehash of, we see even some of the similar animation styles when we're going into the forest. It looks a lot like Bambi. Mother dying, the mother fox dying. It looks a lot like... Bambi. It looks like a Bambi rehash for a while. And it's almost an answer to the question of, is man in the forest? And who is this man? (laughs) What's he doing there? And what's his whole story? I think Ebert's take is especially interesting. I did some research on the original story for The Fox and the Hound, which was written by Daniel P. Mannix. Disney bought it when he won an award for his book, but he spent a year actually going out into nature and watching foxes so that he would have a really good articulate sense of what they do in the wild to write about it. But if you look at the original novel, it is dark, dark, dark. Disney lightened it up a whole lot because it's really this struggle between this fox and this family. The friendship was kind of written into it, and it's just 
this hunter and his hound pursuing this fox endlessly with a lot of carnage. And it's really wild to read that. I want to read it now. It's such a darker story. And so I think he really hit the nail on the head about how it really was a departure because I think the original story itself was really just so different than maybe what Disney had used previously. Wow. Yeah. So whenever we start talking about these movies, Holly, and for the audience who's new, I always bring out the concept of the Manish Tanah. Manish Tanah starts the holiday of Passover. Now, it doesn't start the holiday of Passover, but it starts the four questions of Passover where we ask, why is this night different from all other nights? And when I talk about that in a movie, what I'm asking is, why does the movie start where it starts? And sometimes the answer is there's an inciting incident, and that's why the movie starts where it starts. Sometimes it's the answer is very obvious, and sometimes it's a little obscure. I don't know that it's hard to find why we start where we start in this movie, but it's worth exploring. Andy, Holly, why does it open where we open? Well, I think it has to because it's about this budding relationship between two animals that haven't been taught and conditioned by society to hate each other. So you have to start when they're young. And so you have this opening scene where Todd loses his mother, which is Disney's trademark, is to kill off women. And then you have this process where Todd is the fish out of water, but finds comfort and love in this friendship with Copper. And you have to begin at that state because it wouldn't work if they were older and already had some ingrained beliefs about each other at that point. And I want to separate this into two separate things, Holly, because you're talking about the start of the movie into what I think we're going to identify as the inciting incident. When we're talking about the point of attack, you're 100% right, Holly. It is Todd loses his mother. We need to see that because the story is going to be about this fox and hound becoming friends, and we need to get the fox to a place where he can become friends with the hound. So starting earlier would probably just make us miss Todd's mom even more. Starting later, we'd be asking the question, why is there a fox growing up on a farm? So we start at exactly the right point. Right. We also start where Copper also has some trauma. So Todd has some trauma in that he's orphaned, but Copper has some trauma in that he's being weaned and moved to a completely new environment. So both of them are really living these parallel lives where they've both been orphaned and they're moving to a new place. In Todd's case, he's being looked out for by Big Mama and then the Widow Tweed. But in Copper's case, I'm not sure he's being looked out for. I completely disagree with you. Oh, oh my gosh, Andy, let's fight. <laughs> okay. Put him Copper, up. <laughs> Copper has so much dog privilege over Todd. Todd is being raised in isolation from his fox culture. He doesn't get to know where he comes from or what his identity is. I'm not saying anything bad about Widow Tweed. Widow Tweed is doing the best she can with the Absolutely. tools that she has. Yes. But Copper is immediately placed in a situation where, say what you will about Amos Slade, I know we all love him, <laughs> where his first act is like, here's your big brother, who will teach you how to be a dog. You're going to know exactly what it is to be a dog, even though I myself am not a dog. So I don't disagree with you about Todd, okay? I think it's right. I think Todd doesn't know what it means to be a fox, and I agree with that. But Amos is not loving. Amos is somebody who's shaping Copper into being what he wants Copper to be and not what Copper should be. 
or we wants are going to be. fight about Amos later. Okay, okay, wait, wait, we will, we will. But he ties copper to a barrel, which is not okay. So we used to live on a farm. I had dogs. I would have never tied my dog. There were so many times we would pass other farms and we'd see dogs tied up or whatever, and my daughter would be like, "We've got to go." rescue those dogs. I'm like, honey, we can't go on their property, right? But our dogs ran the perimeter of our farm, right? And especially hunting dogs do that just sort of naturally. Copper is being trained that if he's tied up to this barrel, he can only be himself when he's not tied up. And it's not even really truly himself in that he's hunting things that he doesn't want to hunt. Everybody's going to end up hating me. Andy, Amos doesn't tie Copper up until Copper starts running away into the forest and disappearing. And Amos has to start looking for him because Copper's sneaking off to hang out with a fox. But initially, only the other dog, shoot, I'm forget Chief. Only Chief is tied up. And we'll talk about why Chief is tied up a little bit later. There is this tether. And... I think that Copper starts asking a lot of really sweet little questions. And Chief doesn't really want to have much to do with them other than a snuggle or whatever. And Chief's like, oh, that's really sweet. But the minute Copper starts showing his own inclinations, he's not really wanted. Well, I think that Amos and the widow both have different views on nature. And I think that interplays into how the animals are treated, right? I think the widow has a reverence for nature and for it as a gift, whereas Amos sees it as a purpose to serve his own needs. And I think that that trickles down into how the animals are cared for. Right. Something to conquer. I want to come back to this in a bit, but we're we're talking about plot. So I'm just going to railroad us back to the plot. Okay. What would you say the inciting incident of this movie is? And I think there's a couple of answers that you could give. And when we're talking about the inciting incident, we're talking about this is the thing that gets the movie started and the movie going. Up until this point, we haven't seen our event yet that's going to propel the action forward. What would you guys say is the inciting incident? There are a variety of right answers here. There is no wrong answer unless you start talking about some other movie. (laughs) Where would you say the movie begins? Uh, I think for me, the movie begins when Todd makes the choice to go into Chief's barrel and be in there while he's dreaming, which creates this whole antagonism that starts them on a journey where Copper starts to realize that him and Todd are supposed to be natural enemies. I think to that point, that's not an issue, right? They've been able to keep their friendship separate and do other things, but Todd gets curious and it kind of sparks something that they can't go back from at that point. I would argue we could say the inciting incident of this movie is Todd and Copper, two creatures that are supposed to be natural enemies, become the best of friends, which will lead Todd to going into the house with Chief because Todd doesn't Todd doesn't realize that Chief is not copper, right? It's all the same line. At what point we hit on the line with it, I would say arguably that the friendship, which I think we're both pointing to, is the inciting incident that propels the movie. Yeah, absolutely. And really everything else up to that with Mother Fox being killed and all of that and how each of them get to where they are in each of their home environments is just really good exposition, I think. But if a student on a test wrote, Mother Fox getting killed is the inciting Absolutely. Incident. Sure. I would give them full points for that. Yeah, because Todd's not going to be Todd unless Mother Fox gets killed, right? Then in between those two moments, I might say it's Widow Tweed takes in Todd. 
We could say that I don't think that's what the movie is about, but we could argue there's a woman raising a fox, right? And that could be our movie. Right, right. So for sure. looking a little further along the plot line here, we talk about rising action and climax. And what we generally find is the climax is usually, not always, easier to find than the rising action. We know what the rising action is as we lead up to the climax. So the climax is generally the moment that's the big moment. It's where the forces of good and evil contend. It's where things are at their riskiest. It's where we're worried that the movie might take a turn and not get us to a happy Disney ending. That's the climax. I would say, and you would probably agree with me, that as much as I love all of the kid stuff, the kid stuff is all rising action. Everything after Todd and Copper becoming friends is rising action. They become adults, still rising action. Agree. Todd has to leave Widow Tweed and go to the game preserve, still rising action. There's a couple of things here, though, that we might point to as climax. And again, I don't think there's a wrong answer, because the right answer here is, where do you feel the tension the most? And if Holly feels the tension the most in one place and Andy feels it in another, then they're both right. Where do you feel the climax, the tension is at its highest point? For me, it's the whole scene where they're fighting the bear. Same. You really just don't know if they're going to come out of it unscathed and who's going to do what and who's going to stick up for who because it's all muddled. And I actually love that scene. I think they weave it really well for a Disney film is one of the scarier scenes I think in Disney movies. And that for me is always like my nail biting moment. I agree with you, Holly. What's funny is it's not like the stakes weren't life and death before they were hunter and dog are hunting a Fox and we're in the Fox's perspective for it. So it was life and death, but the bear comes in and everything gets ratcheted up to 11. Suddenly there's this X factor that is raining destruction on my movie, and it's scary. This is not Baloo the Bear coming in floating down the river. Right. (laughs) This is like the demon bear from Brave. It's life or death for everyone, including Amos, right? No one is out of the picture in that scene. Yes, and I think that's true because at this point, it's not just Todd who's in danger. It's Amos, and it's Copper, and it's Todd, and it's Vixie. Everyone has this common fear. That is one place where I might say this movie is the climax. All right, so the other place where we might say the climax is, it's after the bear, where even though we've had this encounter with this monster, Amos is pointing the gun at Todd, and Todd will not get away. Right, right. Amos has learned nothing from the encounter with the bear. (laughs) He's still mad, and he still wants to shoot that fox. And Todd's life, despite his heroism, is once again in danger. Okay, so we've talked about plot elements. Should we move on to character? Let's move on to characters. We've got Todd, and I've grouped these as the young and older Todd as being the same character, because I think Todd's trauma is really evident in a lot of ways. When he's younger, he has a little more of a bravado when going into Chief's barrel, and he's got a lot more foxiness about him, right? But as he gets older, when people laugh at him, he's really upset. 
He doesn't like to be laughed at. He's nervous. He's in a new environment, especially when he gets in the game preserve. He seems to have lost that bravado. And I wonder if Copper's friendship gives him the courage to be more himself. Possibly. One of the things that I'll say with Todd is this is the first Fox character that we've seen in a movie who is the innocent. Right. All previous and all future Foxes are going to be wily and cunning and worldly in a way in which Todd is not. He's naive. He doesn't know what a dog is. He's been robbed of his instincts or whatever his mother would have taught him to the point where, of course, Widow Tweed doing the best she can, but she's taught him not to be afraid of humans. Right. I can't get away from that in the movie is that Todd is a wild animal and he shouldn't be with her. She nurtures him and she loves him and he loves her and they're doing the best that they can. But there is some harm being done to Todd by having him domesticated in this way. Right, right. Is that fair or am I a monster? (laughs) I think think it's fair. Yeah. Yeah. They paused. They hesitated, audience. (laughs) I'm a monster. Not a monster, Larry. (laughs) I think she's put in in a rock and a hard place because if she doesn't take him in, he probably dies. Right. He won't survive on his own. No. That is for sure. If he goes down the road to Amos's house and, of course, the birds know which door to knock on, right? Where's their best odds? You have your best odds with this woman. Widow strikes me as somebody who scatters bird seed, right? We don't see that in the movie, but she's the kind of... Birds are all hanging out by her house. But the birds are all hanging out by her house. They know what's up, right? They know that she's going to take care of them. I think the big trait about Todd, though, is he's the idealist. He's the believer in a bright future. He's the one who asks the world for his dreams to come true. Let's talk about Copper. Copper really has to overcome his training to let Todd go. For me, that's really interesting. His instincts is to just be a friend to Todd. That's what he wants to do and have fun and play with him. And he has to be trained to be a killer. I have some ambivalence towards Copper. I think Copper's really slow to come to the conclusion that he has a mind of his own to some degree. He has this really interesting loyalty to Chief and Amos that I don't know is really deserved on his part, considering the fact that he's just thrown into this life with them. And like Andy had said, there's not a lot of affection and there's not a lot of goodwill that's generated to really generate that loyalty from them. So his character is interesting to me. I personally feel that's one of the downfalls of the film for me is I just wish I would see him fighting himself more because I don't feel that we get to see that journey. So I'm going to agree with Holly on this. I'm also ambivalent about Copper, partly because I think Copper comes in expecting to be loved by everyone because he's cute and he's adorable. Amos is affectionately stroking this puppy. He comes into Chief and immediately Copper's like, Chief, you're going to love me. And obviously Chief is not sure that Chief is going to love him. But (laughs) he relents, right? He lets Copper snuggle right into the crook of his arm. Copper's got this privilege. He's a cute dog and everybody loves a cute dog. And he doesn't have to work particularly hard to get people to like him. It just comes to him naturally. And Todd is working for the friendship. Todd's the one who needs the reinsurance that we're going to be friends forever. Right, Copper? Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure, Copper can make that promise, but Copper doesn't intend to, uh, maybe he intends to keep it in the moment, but he doesn't keep that promise close to his heart the way that Todd does. 
right? Copper is able to go off on that hunting trip, and he's killed other foxes and not thought about Todd. Right? Right. Right. And it doesn't even look like when Copper comes back that he's been struggling with the, what am I going to say when I see Todd again? It feels to me like Copper forgot Todd existed. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had your best friend tell you that you're not their best friend, but in fact, their second best friend. But that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) That the relationship was more on your side than on my side. Hmm. Now I'm all sad again. This movie is a tearjerker, man. It's rough. It's rough. Another thing I want to say about Todd and Copper, I will be surprised if you don't agree with me. I never want them to grow up. I love them so much when they're little that I'm always a little sad when we move to the second half and they're teenagers. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think even the sequel, which is Fox and the Hound 2, would agree with you because they go back to where Todd and Copper are little because that's where the fun is. That's the sweet spot. Right, right. Kids like babies. I like babies. Yeah, we all like babies. (laughs) Well, let's go on to Big Mama, who also seems to like babies, right? Does she? Well, she is a muse, I think, who foreshadows the events that are going to take place in song. She basically warns, she sees them together, and she's like, this is good for now, but this is not going to last. But she's also really important in making sure that Todd has a forever home, too. Well, forever is a long, long time, right? And time has a way of changing things, so maybe it's not his forever home. Maybe he's going to end up in the game preserve, but yeah. She's out there. I do like Big Mama. But for someone who's called herself Big Mama, she is very quick to say she's not going to raise this fox. Right? Right. Todd, she's like, you got to find you someone to love you and be your mother. And Todd immediately cuddles up to her and she goes, oh, no, not me. He's trying to nurse and he can't. And she's like, not me. I can't do that for you. He's trying to nurse? I don't have the goods. Well, if you're a woman and you've ever held a baby, a little baby, and they try to nurse you and you're like, oh, okay, I'm the wrong one. But yeah, you can't. I did not you to your mom. Nur- yeah. Oh, this is your expertise here. Is Todd is. trying to nurse from Big Mama? Yeah, I would say so. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The image this has just conjured for me. Okay. And we have a lactation expert here. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I... I just thought he was, paint me an innocent, I thought he was snuggling. (laughs) He's trying to root around and find something. She goes, oh, no, not me, but we've got to find you where you can be, right? The payoff then is the Widow Tweed giving him a bottle. Bottle, right. Right. Oh. (laughs) I wish y'all could see Larry's face right now, because he is in genuine shock. Like, I think we just blew his mind, (laughs) y'all. I didn't really think about where is Todd going to get his milk. I just yeah. thought she was like, no, I don't, I don't want kids. I'm a, I'm a single owl living my, my free life in the forest. I call myself big mama, but it's just an affectionate nickname. I'm not. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well then fair enough. Big mama does have the narrator role. Sure. If anybody does in this movie, much like friend owl has the narrator role in Bambi. Yeah, I was going to say that. The animals sort of play identical roles for sure. Widow Tweed is the other maternal force. It feels like Big Mama and Widow Tweed are partners, even if Widow Tweed is not aware of the partnership between the two of them. That Widow Tweed 
is, I guess, the caregiver force, whereas Big Mama is more the education force in parenting. That's the partnership they have in raising Todd together. Widow Tweed knows how to take care of Todd, but she doesn't really know how to teach Todd what he needs to know. Right. Well, she's not a fox. She's one of my favorite female Disney characters because she just is not a princess. She's not glamorous. She walks out in her work boots and her. she reminds me of my grandmother, actually, who used to garden and do stuff outdoors. But she's no nonsense. Her whole persona, she has that nurturing, but she's also kind of badass. That whole scene where she stops Amos with the car and then shoots his car is one of my favorite parts in the entire <laughs> It's great, yeah. Not that she just takes the gun, but then she like renders him useless. And I love that aspect of her having that tough feminine side that you don't see in a lot of Disney films at all, especially in the nurturing stuff. She symbolically emasculates him, right? She literally oh, yeah. rips the gun out of his hands I don't know that we need to like delve into that symbolism too much. He's got a pretty big gun there, but she can take it away pretty quickly. Then he's got nothing. And then she turns around and shoots his car, leaving him unable to travel. That is badass. You're right. She's tough. She's a good protector for Todd up to a point. Right. And she's willing to take him to the game preserve. She can't teach him how to be a fox. And it's kind of like that moment where you drop your kid off at college where you're like, all right, I've gotten you this far, but I really can't teach you much. There are things that you have to learn that I can't provide for you. And so, man, that is this, like, I cry every time she drops him off at the game preserve. Right. And she just looks at him and then she has to move on. And she's willing to do that because it's the safer place for him than even her own farm. She can't keep him safe anymore. No. And she thinks, oh, if I take him here, He's going to be safe because people aren't allowed to hunt there, right? It's a preserve, but... She's not wrong, but I don't think she understands the level to which Amos is at in this particular moment. Yeah, let's jump into Amos real quick. We hate him the most, I think, when he cuts the fence to hunt in the game preserve, right? Yes. This guy is a ball of just white male anger. <laughs> he is just angry. And killing things. And he is just an absolute killer. Wow. And I'm going to disagree with you. Not that I love Amos. But of all the times I've watched The Fox and the Hound, this is the time I hated him the least. Look, Amos and I would not vote the same. We would not hang out. We would not play poker together. I would spend no time with him. And I thoroughly dislike him. But... The movie goes out of the way to show him as someone who is seeing something that's not real, but acting as... So, when he first sees Todd, Todd is chasing a chicken. Todd isn't chasing a chicken, but he sees chicken running, Todd running, chief running after Todd, and he comes to the conclusion that Todd was trying to kill the chicken... And Chief was saving the chicken coop. Because that's what foxes do, right? That's what foxes do. Right. And he's right. not wrong to shoot the fox. I don't like it. I'm also not a farmer, and I don't have to deal with the realities of farmers. I kind of get what was happening in Charlotte's Web to the other pigs. <laughs> life on a farm is, is life on a farm. Hopefully there's only one sad day on the farm, right? Every time <laughs> you let that fox go, that fox comes back for your chickens again. That's right. That's right. 
So while I dislike him, he is affectionate to his dogs and I think legitimately loves Chief and legitimately loves Copper to the point where he is no longer motivated by the desire to hunt. When he's hunting Todd, it's about Chief. When Copper's hunting Todd, it's about Chief. In the same way that the widow Tweed rises up to defend Todd, Amos is rising up to protect his dog. Except it's not protection, it's vengeance. It is vengeance. To the point where you would cut a fence, like I said, to hunt in the game preserve, that you would go in there and do that and violate the sanctity of animals. I think that that is what makes me the most angry at this character. At first, it's like, temper woman, you ain't seen my temper, right? It's kind of, ha ha, he's just kind of jokey, whatever. But like, he's chasing the widow tweed down with a gun and he's shooting at her car. <laughs> this guy is an absolute killer. I mean, he's got a screw loose for sure. When we take a look at what's happened to Copper over the course of the movie, how he goes out hunting and he comes back another person, you don't think someone made Amos the way that he is? The thing that Amos does wrong, his moment of transgression, his moment of villainy, is when he sees the game preserve. He knows he's not supposed to be there. He says this is against the rules. And he cuts the fence and he goes in with those bear traps. Yeah. Up until then, he's a farmer and a hunter who's making an honest living. He's protecting his chickens, but... He's even right to be angry about his dog getting hurt chasing the fox. He is wrong from the second that he crosses that fence. That's when he becomes a villain. That is, he's not a villain from the get-go. He's someone we have to live with in the world. There are Amoses out there. Oh, sure. Amos really does train Copper. You said something earlier about who trained Amos to be Amos. Amos is training Copper to kill for sport because he he's not killing for meat. He's not killing for survival. He's killing for the sport of it, for pelts, to get money. For me, that's like, okay, there are other ways to kill. I don't know. Amos seems kind of lazy to me in that he doesn't really work until it's fox season. And then he just loads up pelts and then lives off that for the rest of the year. And for me, that's kind of like, ah, it's just gross. It's gross all the way around. It's gross that there's a market for that. And it's gross that he trains copper to like, oh, I smelled something. What is that? Oh, this is interesting. And then he trains this dog to be to be a killer. And dogs kill. I mean, I've had dogs. Dogs kill things. I get it. But dogs also, for whatever reason, sometimes don't kill things. And they're intrigued by something. And they'll look at it. But Amos trains Copper to go after everything, and we're going to cut this fence, and we're going to go in after him. And Chief never asks for that kind of vengeance. He never asks for it. Chief doesn't even require it, because Chief's living his best life now that he's injured. Yes, because he's not tied to a barrel. He's living on a pillow in the house, right? (laughs) And knows that Chief is full of garbage. Because at one point, Chief comes going, going howling and howling, and he's like, get back in there, Chief. He knows Chief is faking. I think Amos is like an unfortunate byproduct in some ways of the adaptation. Because looking at the original story, it really is like about bloodthirsty vengeance because 
in the original, Chief and Copper actually reversed. Chief is the younger dog and, and Copper is the older and Chief in the original story dies. And so it is really about bloodthirsty vengeance and they're just hunting and ah, hunting. Too. So I think that part of that is the adaptation. But then I think there is this thing to be said for culture. And for a culture in, I would picture the story taking place in like a mountainous Appalachian type background where this actually might be part of the livelihood of how people get by, right? And and can you fault people for getting by by selling pelts and doing things when that might be all that's available? Because it doesn't place a time frame of when this story takes place. But I don't imagine that it's really super modernized times, right, based on the cars and just the fact that there's this farm culture. I think Amos is really complex in that way because I do think that he knows he's doing wrong, but I also think he's really driven by the sense of somebody hurt my property because I think he sees his dogs as his property for the most part. Absolutely. And that is his bread and butter and that is how he survives. He's not right, but I don't think that he's just merely bloodthirsty for bloodthirsty's sake. I think he does have what he feels are legitimate reasons to go after Todd and to be seeking him. In the book, that's all they do for years. The original book is go after this fox and like kill off his family multiple times. The storyline is wild. So they've actually really tempered him a lot in the Disney film compared to what he is in the original. And so I think it was the struggle of that plus where they placed him and and the lifestyle that they kind of placed him in. He's interesting to me because I don't think he's a horrible person, but I also think that he's kind of like Todd. He's a fish out of water. I don't think he has much of an identity other than what he's been given. And I'm not sure that Amos really completely knows who he is versus the widow seems to have a much grander sense of self and self-efficacy. So I don't know. This is a really interesting point. Because if Chief got killed by the train, it changes how we see Amos's desire for revenge and Copper's desire for revenge. It motivates them in a way, and it's not really Todd's fault. If you want to hunt something, hunt down that train, guys. Go for it. If you're going to give hatred towards something, now I hate trains. But if Chief died there, and Copper and Amos are actually in mourning, and that the hatred they have towards Todd is actually an externalization of the grief that they're dealing with, that makes them much more interesting to me than they are in the movie. I think at one point, Chief, I think in the story, like he was supposed to die. Like you said, Holly, that he was going to die anyway. And I think actually, as they started making the film, they had Chief die and they're like, wait, we've never killed a character in a Disney movie like this before. Let's not start now. Yeah, they've killed wicked people, but Chief isn't really wicked. And it's like, do we really want to go into that territory? And besides, it's funnier when he's got a bum leg or whatever. And then we see at the end of the movie, of course, you know, Widow Tweed's patching up Amos's leg the way he patched up Chief's leg. So, okay, maybe I'll retract that he's a sociopath, but he's definitely a violent guy. Okay. For sure. I'll go with you. I think we should talk about Chief just a little bit here. Oh, sure. I don't hate Chief the way that I did when I was a kid. I hated him as a kid when I watched it. Really? Chief sees himself being replaced by Copper, and he's not thrilled about that, but it actually doesn't stop him from loving Copper. Right. He hazes Copper in sort of a big brother way, but he also teaches Copper. I think Copper brings out the best in Chief. Interesting. You disagree. Disagree with me. 
No, I'm not just thinking. I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> Podcasts aren't great for thinking, by the way, because you're like, okay, well, oh, then I'll, I'll bring up another point about you while you think about this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Originally, at the start of the movie, I had a revelation about Chief, which I hadn't realized, which is why copper is necessary, why Amos is bringing in copper, and why Chief is tied to the barrel. And what it is, is Chief's sense of smell has disappeared. Remember, Copper can smell Todd, and Chief doesn't smell nothing? Right, right, right. Chief is an older dog. He's getting older, and he can't sense the animals anymore. He's lost his sense of smell. He may even be tied up to the barrel now, because he will wander off and not be able to find his way back. I think there is the possibility here In one sense, Chief is seeing the handwriting on the wall when Copper comes in. And again, when Copper gets to sit in the front and Chief has to go in the back, right? Right, right. None of us get to live forever. And this is a reminder of Chief for that. But in it, he enters into a new phase of his life as a mentor, brother, parent figure. And in a way, having Copper gives Chief meaning again. In a way in which Chief no longer had meaning. He couldn't do the job anymore, but now there's a new job for Chief. And when I think of it that way, it makes me a little more affectionate towards Amos. Sometimes you get a dog for your dog, right? I got a dog for my dog. Because your dog needs the companionship. Did you get a dog for your dog? I did. Oh, I see your point. I think Amos looks at dogs, as Holly said, with property and as a means to an end. Because if you really loved your dog, You wouldn't just tie him up to a barrel to sleep all night. You'd let him in the house. And Amos doesn't seem to be the kind of guy that doesn't really care so much about dog cleanliness in his house. The presence of the dogs there actually probably does keep the foxes away. But Todd doesn't have the instincts. Todd is the one fox probably who would still go in because he doesn't know to be afraid of dogs. Yeah, that's true. I'm sorry because I know we won't want to hate you, this. You want to, you want to fight, and I, I can't, I can't really fight. All right. This. Well, then, then <laughs> let me come down hard on Vixie. Oh, Vixie. All right. Do we all hate <laughs> Vixie? <laughs> no. <laughs> what do you think, Holly? <laughs> I think she represents Todd's future. Right. She represents what he is supposed to be, and who he's supposed to be, and where he's supposed to be going. Disney has to have its femme in the film, and I think she's it, and she fulfills it. To me, her character is really, it's just there to serve the purpose of showing him that he can find his way as a fox. But other than that, she doesn't really serve much for me in this film. I'm going to tell you, having watched Fox and the Hound right after watching Bambi a couple of weeks ago, Faylene has it all over Vixie. Vixie is in Faylene's shadow, Vixie kind of likes Todd before she even meets or sees Todd. Big Mama says there's a male fox, and Vixie's like, oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently they're on short supply. Yeah, and then Big Mama goes, and he's handsome, too. And Vixie goes, well, I'm shallow, and I like handsome. (laughs) Hey, Vixie's been trying to make it with a porcupine and a badger, so... (laughs) Hearing about a male fox is, yeah, that's pretty great. (laughs) You'll do. (laughs) I agree with Holly. Vixie is almost like a tokenized female figure. There has to be a female figure in this movie that will represent Todd's future and the continuation of Todd's line. But as a character, 
there's not much there. She she, and she doesn't have much to do other than she Copper has Chief and Todd. It's nice to see him with somebody that he can bounce things off of. Especially, it's kind of nice having a dog to dog relationship or a fox to fox relationship, I guess. And if he's never been a fox and doesn't know how to be a fox, and she's like, oh, we can fish. And he's like, I don't know how to do that, but I'll try and I'll be amazing. And then I'm not. And then they fight and then Big Mama sings and everything's better. I wanted more conflict there. So that we see that Pixie has choices and Todd is trying to blend in with fox society. Like we could make a whole meal out of that. Yeah, for sure. Like reintroduction to fox society as opposed to I'm a male fox, you're a female fox. Let- Let's get it on, right? <laughs> All right, Dinky Boomer and Squeaks. Man, do they pad out this movie. <laughs> There's, there is a subplot. This is the <laughs> subplot about the two birds chasing the caterpillar, but it almost feels like this is our B-plot of the movie, and it's not It's not a particularly interesting B-plot. It's comic relief silliness. Yes. But in a movie... That is about, so this is me being a jerk, but in a movie that is about people realizing that we should look past the roles that nature seems to have placed us in and look to see people as they really are, Dinky and Boomer are predators hunting down squeaks. Right. And never have that moment where they realize maybe they shouldn't be enemies with squeaks. We don't get to the place where they have their fox and the hound moment in counterpoint this is birds chase caterpillars and that's what they do right it's more like this looney tunes thing and of course the payoff is when squeaks turns into a butterfly but it's not enough we all know squeaks is going to turn into a butterfly we all know this is going to happen so wouldn't it be better if like it was like wow we didn't see him for who he really was or something anything i think it's the attempt to give some kind of lightness to the story which is so heavy Right. Yeah, and I'm nothing. I have nothing against levity. I'm just saying, for me, if you were to draw a line to Dinky and Boomer and say they are Copper and Amos relentlessly pursuing something, even though the payoff is not going to be that great, this is one caterpillar, guys. Move on. (laughs) I mean, I assume they're eating the rest of the time, right? I mean, it's like this one caterpillar is sort of like Amos Slade going, "Why does he keep chasing Todd?" You've had all the other foxes, right? I'm sure Dinky and Boomer are eating other caterpillars, and you just want the one you can't have. So the porcupine and the badger. What do we think about this? That was Piglet's voice. I Piglet's heard voice. Yes, 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 yes. And it's either Dinky or Boomer's Tigger. Yes, yeah. Whichever one. I, I enjoyed them. I actually wouldn't have minded seeing more of them in the movie. Porcupine comes in as like an ally to Todd, and... Maybe in a way, this movie could be the fox and the porcupine. Maybe Todd's experience with Copper should have led him to not trust Porcupine. And we see Porcupine win over Todd. I think more time there. And I think more time with Badger as like the other end. So where Porcupine is welcoming, Badger is standoffish. And I feel like I want to see those relationships soften a little bit over time. Become a little more comfortable a relationship actually built if badger came in to save the day at some point and we realized i don't know i don't know they're late game entries to this movie i think they're mirrors for copper and chief really i mean porcupine is kind of like copper at his youngest and most innocent and badger is 
has chief-like qualities. I too really wanted to see that relationship developed more because it was interesting to me because they're new kind of animals and they survive differently. And how does that interplay with the fox? And Disney just didn't give enough time to that element. Spent all his time chasing a caterpillar and and no time for badger and and porcupine. <laughs> Right. Well, it's it's where we see most clearly where the badger doesn't want Todd in his home, but the porcupine welcomes him, right? And so we kind of see if we're if this whole story is one big allegory, which we're going to talk about that when we get to themes. I think this is a note that some people accept you, even in a game preserve where everything should be safe. Some people accept you, and some people don't. Yeah. Right. So you want to talk about the songs? Let's talk about the songs. What do we all think? I think they're useless. You think they're useless? <laughs> like the story is just much more interesting without any music to it. And again, I think this is like a Disney staple where they felt like they had to throw it in. I do appreciate Big Mama as a, a singer. And I just felt like the lyrics could have been better if you're going to do it. I just, to me, it did it did nothing to add to the story and they could have spent that time again developing the relationship with the porcupine and the badger rather than singing right it was to me not the best use of of the movie's time well i mean i've postulated before i think in the sword and the stone movie that music should either move the story along or be outright entertaining in its own right or tell us things we don't already know about the characters right and when we see the fox and the hound being best of friends and Big Mama sings when you're the best of friends, life is a game, but we're seeing it. Like there's no extra insight that we're getting from that song. Similarly, when we've got Goodbye May Seem Forever, I think it is, with The Widow, where she's sad about leaving Todd. By the way, not even a song, more of a poem than a song. She doesn't sing it. Like, did I need access to her inner voice or was I seeing it all in her expression in her body language as she looked at Todd if the music had played without the voiceover is there anything I don't understand from it I'm not sure we need the voiceover there this is one of those things where the music is by Buddy Baker and not the Sherman Brothers and so again it's another departure from oh this is different this isn't what we're expecting in this kind of genre of film so yeah I think between the songs being sort of like didactic almost, like this is what's happening in this scene. It's kind of annoying. But I think when we're writing, like we have to be really careful about showing. And we always say this, right? You show, you don't tell. And I think if you turned off the sound, I didn't do this. But if I turned off the sound, would I get the same kind of feel? I'm going to break your hearts. Are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. So if you take Goodbye May Seem Forever... And instead, you move away from being in the car with Todd, and we see the widow tweed when she's younger, and she's mourning her husband or a child. And then we flash back to what's happening here with Todd, and we see more of, we actually realize that Todd, I'm making myself cry a little bit. <laughs> but then, then we would see like, oh, it would reveal something about her. The past loss that she had still allowed her to love, and it still lets her give this up. Like, like it's not just yeah. this moment with the fox. It's her whole life. She's the widow Tweed. She's lost people before. She doesn't even have a first name, right? So, like, we put the picture of, of Todd that's on her bureau in the mirror, right? 
I mean, wouldn't it be interesting if we pull back and we see several other pictures of people that she's with that are no longer around her? Yeah. I think that's a quick moment, and I think that gets the job done. You don't have to change the song at all, or the poem at all. Nope. And suddenly it gives us a whole nother layer of context with her and meaning there, and my heart would just break. It's breaking right now, imagining what it would be. (laughs) Wow, that just occurred to me. Of the bunch, the only thing that actually has a revelation in it is probably lack of education, which again doesn't exactly feel like a song feels more like spoken word. Right. Because right. lack of education, she is teaching Todd something that Todd doesn't know. So we're seeing this idea that the fox and the hound won't always be friends. You mean Copper's going to be my enemy? Yeah. That is like the worst. Oh, terrible. Terrible. And she tells him the truth about it. I mean, she breaks down and tells him this is how this is how it's going to be. She tells him a truth about it. It's not the yeah. truth. Yeah, because in actuality, by the end of this movie, in a way, Todd and Copper will always be friends. They just had a falling out. But Mm. that kind of leads us towards theme. Should we talk protagonist problems? Yeah, let's talk about protagonist problems. Anybody have thoughts about who the clear protagonist is? Or is there a clear protagonist? Is there a problem? It's Todd. What do we think? It has to be Todd. Okay, has to be Todd. Holly? I think Todd's the protagonist. I don't think he's the character with the biggest change but that's the issue he doesn't have the biggest character arc i think the biggest character arc honestly is amos i don't even think it's copper i think it's amos because he's the one who has to go through so much to get to a place where he is no longer creating the same kind of cycle that he was previously with hunting right right do we buy amos's big change do we? Because I'm not sure I buy it. I mean, he seems to give it up pretty easily. I guess it's because he's wounded or whatever, but... I buy Copper's change. I buy yeah. Copper's change. Copper, I think, of the two, Todd and Copper, Copper has the bigger arc than Todd does. But when Copper is looking at Amos, I still thought Amos was going to pull the gun, and I don't know what caused him to stop there. There's a lot of internal life to that moment that we're just not privy to. Right. right. And I don't know. I don't know if I can say why he doesn't do it. He was ready to do it a moment before, but his dog looks at him and he stops. Is it shame that stops him from doing it? Is it self-realization? Is it just his dog doesn't want him to and he loves his dog? So I don't know. We don't get an answer on that. It's like stopping the cycle of violence. I agree. Like there's no defined moment for that, but it's like that connection that you make where you really see something for what it is and that it deserves life and it deserves humanity. And you recognize Mm -hmm. that within yourself and it translates into, I just can't do this anymore. It's a very powerful moment, that moment. I want to throw out to you. I'm not a hunter. I've never hunted. I couldn't do it. I don't have it in me. But. If Amos was just killing Todd because that's how he makes his living, killing the pelt, getting the pelts, I wouldn't like it, but I'd understand why he's doing it. What I really want for Amos is for him to realize it's not just the killing of the fox that's wrong, it's the reason he wants to do it. It's the hatred, it's the vengeance. I think Amos will hunt again. I don't think he's hanging up his guns. Once his leg is healed, he'll go out and he'll do that again. But he can't do it out of malice. Right? 
I mean, you can, right? No, you can, <laughs> but it's destruct. Whatever you do that you do out of hatred, you are killing a part of yourself. There's a real harm that you're doing to yourself. And that is what I want from Amos. I want Amos to realize, like, like he's becoming a monster when he's pursuing hatred. So in that vein, do we want that from Todd? Because it seems like his allegiance to Amos. Oh, you mean Copper. Or sorry, Copper. Do we want it for Copper? I do want it for Copper. Do I know that Copper's not hunting other foxes? I mean, is Copper going to keep hunting? I think he is. Well, if Copper comes home with it, I mean, does Copper's allegiance to Amos allow him to really overcome his friendship with Todd? That is the sticking point for me in this movie. And you said it earlier, Copper acts like he's never seen Todd. He's forgotten all about him. Do we want to see a hunting scene where he has some pause about killing a fox? And Amos says, no, go ahead and do it and makes him a better killer. Or Chief praises him or something happens because something's got to change. The only thing that Copper has seen in Fox world is Todd. And now all of a sudden he's got a wagon full of pelts. Something happened. Todd sacrifices more for Copper than Copper sacrifices for Todd. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know what Copper doesn't do? Copper comes in, but he doesn't put himself between Todd and the gun. He's to the side. Right. And he looks at his master, but it's still his master's choice. Right. Copper took those two steps forward and put himself between Todd and his master. It would be profoundly moving. But he's not taking the risk. He's just, uh, now you're making me hate Copper. I mean, this, this movie, this movie is, it's like we almost, in so many ways, we almost get there. We almost find that place where there's this big moment, but we never like, oh man, like go a little further. And I think they're pulling punches because with kids and whatever, and nobody wants to see a gun pointed at a dog. Well, I think there was a lot of, there was a lot of internal strife over the plot, right? And you had people who left over this film, like Don Bluth, this is the film that he left over that he went and struck out and created his own animation studio. So I think there was a lot of internal arguing. And I think that unfortunately, that maybe just kind of shows up in the script, because you didn't quite have that continuity. And you had one group starting on it and another group finishing on it. But yeah, moment lost, right? Yeah. I mean, there's all these moments where you're like, Oh, just keep going. Yes. Give me that give me that heart tug. Because I think it is a really sad movie, but in the end, I really want more sacrifice and I want more, I want Copper to learn more and I want Todd to feel maybe he goes back to the widow or something happens. It's just, it doesn't quite get there for me. Themes? Let's move on to themes. We're kind of there anyway. Well, I think there's definitely nature versus nurture, right? You just, you have this sense of like what something is supposed to be because of its nature versus how to. Does it get there because of the influences that act upon it? I see like a modern day relevance with just so much of how people are treated in the world in terms of difference and how much of that comes from what we are taught, who we should be and how we should treat people. And for myself, having dual identity children, you just see it when they're growing up. You see that there's this sense of absence of knowing that they aren't hated yet. And then there's a point where they recognize it and it's 
as a parent, so heartbreaking to have your kid have that moment where they recognize that they aren't loved in the world the way that their family loves them. And I think I see some of that and maybe I'm putting too much into it, but that evokes that for me. Todd's journey evokes that for me. I don't think you're seeing too much into it. Yeah. And that's why I have such a fondness for Todd, especially just like his journey is so difficult and you just want him to, to have more out of that. Like Andy was saying, because I feel like he deserves it. He deserves to have that. Right. Right. And I wonder Holly, cause I have kids with dual identities too. I wonder if, Part of my want for this is for it to go even farther than it does. Exactly, and I know for the time for the time it's big, and but the theme that my kids see in this is that prejudice is taught, and then it can be unlearned. Exactly, it's a choice, right? It's always a choice. It's maybe a forced choice at first when you're young, but you can unlearn things, and you can do better when you know better. You can do better. Exactly. For me, the big theme of this movie is how closely tied love and hate are. We use the word hate and and we, we use it in a very loose thing. But for me, hatred, my little mini lecture on love and hate, I'll do it in 30 seconds. The purest expression of love is sacrifice. I love someone so much, I would rather suffer pain than watch them suffer pain. And I talk a lot about Disney movies being about the redemptive power of love. The fact that people sacrifice themselves for the ones that they care about. Bambi's mother is is a great example of this. Todd's mother is a great example of this. The Widow Tweed is a great example of this. But that's in a lot of Disney movies. In this movie, we have the damning power of hate. And the damning power of hate is, I will hurt myself as long as it hurts you more. Right? At this point, Amos is stepping into bear traps. He doesn't care. He's he's literally hurting himself. Copper is hurting himself. Copper, the reason that Copper hates Todd is it wasn't just this fox. It was this fox that he loved at one point who he feels has betrayed him. Love turning to hate. They're so closely tied. The hatred here is a more real hatred than the evil queen's hatred of Snow White. It's about expectations not being met. It's about hurting yourself through your hatred. I think there's something here about hate. Well, when you feed the hate, you become your own monster, right? That's exactly it. That's right. That's it. Hate might sustain you and keep you going, but it will never satisfy you. It'll never be enough. There's no end to hate. Right. Okay, pitch time. All right, so there's an intermediate movie that's made in 2006, and it goes direct to DVD, and I talked about it earlier, which is Fox and the Hound 2, and it features young Todd and young Copper, and they go to a county fair, and just for kicks, I took a look at it, because when I watched this movie this time, I'm like, you know, I really want to spend more time with young Todd and young Copper, so if you really want to do that, this is your film. And it's super sweet. I've also seen this movie. I also feel the same way about Young Todd and Young Copper, but I'm going to tell you, I disagree with Andy about if if you watch this movie and wonder to yourself, hmm, should Copper run away from home to join a singing dog show? If that was the dramatic question you were wondering as you watched this movie, Fox and the Hound 2 is for you. For me, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> I mean, I think it's wonderfully goofy. There's Reba McIntyre's in it. Patrick Swayze's in it. I mean, come on. You know. <laughs> I'm just saying that the movie doesn't answer any questions for me. But what would we do with the Fox and the Hound? 
prequel, sequel, remake, series, what would we do? I know for myself, there are two things that I could see that I would love. This is actually one of the few films, because I'm not into remakes very often, but after seeing the new Cruella that just came out, which kind of gives depth to that story, I would actually like to see a remake done in that vein, because I think that that would perhaps give the depth that you and I are seeking, Andy. But I also would love to see like them navigate the world when they have children of their own. How does that interplay? Does Amos really give up the hunting or is that a continuation? And does that come into this whole other cycle? And do we see that finally get broken? But you could also do that in a remake, right? Because if you didn't have the songs and you had more time to develop some of these stories and now we can make movies that are two hours long and people will sit and watch them, I think you could do that. So I would actually be really excited to see Disney take it on, but in just in a different vein and maybe not necessarily full animation. I don't know. Because there's just so many options. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I wrote that I thought it would be fun to see like a new litter of foxes and hounds. But this time the pups kind of help their fathers overcome their prejudices. I think that could be interesting. Like they would make different choices and be kind of sweet about it and maybe buck the whole hunting system. All right. I'm similar there, but I'm going to be a little different. Are you ready? Okay. Yes. So we are in the nature preserve. It's some years later. Amos Slade is gone. Copper is gone. But a puppy got left behind. One of Copper's puppies got left behind. And he ends up in the nature preserve all alone. And Todd takes in Copper and raises Copper alongside his fox cubs. But much like Widow Tweed eventually realizes he needs to bring Copper Jr. back to civilization, back to man. But this is a dog who's raised but with his fox family. And in it, Todd is reliving his past friendship with Copper. It's all done by Todd to honor Copper. All right. (laughs) Excellent. Holly, it's been a treat having you here. Thank you so much for joining us on this wild ride today. Larry, what do we got for next week? Next week, we have The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Oh, yeah, this this is a good one to watch with your little ones. It makes a big difference in your enjoyment level. Watch it. Watch it with your little ones. Fun fact. This is Ron Becker, my husband, who is we are of age. This is his favorite movie. So I'm looking forward to watching the piglet is his absolute favorite. So yeah, I know. Right. So I'm looking forward to that. All right, fans, you can find us at our Facebook page, Once Upon a Disney Podcast, and on Twitter at at Andy Redwine and at Larry Brenner 6. And should you have a pressing question for us to answer, you can always drop an email into our mailbag at Once Upon a Disney Podcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon.